Thank you, Jesus. How many of y'all waiting on the Lord? You know, I was told a long time ago, waiting on the Lord doesn't mean sitting and doing nothing like you're at a bus stop. Waiting on the Lord is like you're in a restaurant and you have a waiter that waits on you. They're serving. Amen? So while you're waiting, be serving the Lord with a heart of expectancy. Amen? Praise God. Well, as you can see, Pastor Jeff's not here. So don't think that uh, Pastor Jeff has abandoned us and I've taken over and I've just decided to change things because that's not what's going on. <laughs> we had an incredible youth conference last night and this was the setup. Amen. This was the setup. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit was here. God moved. And it was amazing. Pastor Jeff is away in East Texas a church that he planted 40 years ago. Today is the 40th anniversary, so he's preaching there today. Amen. I know they're being blessed. And so, as I say often, you're stuck with me. So, buckle up. Amen. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Jeff has been talking about, will the real Jesus stand up? And so, I'm going to continue that, talking about your sins are forgiven. And I want to come out of Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Through 12 is what I'm going to read. I'm going to read out of the New King James Version. I'm so happy to be here with you all today. I love this setup, by the way. So I'm sure some of you came in wondering where your favorite chair was at, you know. <laughs> Where's that chair? I don't know where. I, this is, I usually sit right here, but my chair is gone. Yeah, you know the color of it. You know everything about it, right? Well, we decided to change it up. It's good to switch things up every now and then. Amen. Sometimes we get too comfortable, you know, and, and we look at people when we come in like you're in my chair, but you know, your name's not even on that chair. <laughs> Amen. Let's make some room. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to have his way. Get us uncomfortable. Shake up and rattle that cage a little bit. Amen. All right. So you're with me. Amen. All right. Mark chapter two. And again, he talking about Jesus entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. Aren't you glad Jesus is in the house? Amen. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. Man, that's just amazing. Now, even not even near to the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through... They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They were murmuring. They were complaining. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They weren't wrong. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, see, God knows our thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But, you, that, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise. 
take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, he took up his bed, and he went out in the presence of them all. And they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God, we thank you for your word. Now I ask God that you would bless those that are not just hearers but doers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have your seats. Your sins are forgiven. This man came in paralyzed and he walked out whole. Not only did he walk out whole, he walked out with his sins forgiven, which is the greater miracle. Amen. I didn't get too many amens on that one. You know, when me and uh, Johnny and Connor were in Peru, we saw something, at least I can say I saw something that I have never seen before. Right in front of my very eyes, I saw someone paralyzed in a wheelchair get up and walk. I'd never seen that before. But the Holy Spirit was moving in that crusade that we were at. And not only did he get up out of the wheelchair, he ran to the stage to testify about the goodness of God. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It was amazing. And so I can, you know, when they said, we never saw anything like this, that's what it reminds me of. Like, I had never seen anything like that before. But don't get it confused. The greater miracle is salvation. I think we put a lot of emphasis on healing and the gifts of spirit, which is, which is fine, but we don't put enough emphasis on someone getting saved. Because only God can take a hard, hardened heart that does not love God or love the things of God and completely turn it around and soften it to cause it to love God and the things of God and the people of God. And that is what God has done to me. Amen. That is a miracle. Because how many of y'all know we can be stubborn? We can be rebellious. I mean, because Jesus can say to the wind and the waves, stop. Don't come any further. And guess what? The wind and the waves will obey Jesus. But then he comes to man and he says, stop sinning, stop rebelling. And we say, no. See, the wind and the waves will obey quicker than we obey sometimes. It shouldn't be that way. But that is the miracle of salvation, that God can change a heart that hates church and now it loves church. God can take a heart that says, you know what, I don't want to do right. I don't care about people. And he can turn that around and say, I love people and I want to do right now. Amen. That is a miracle. Thank you, Jesus, for the miracle. And so in this story, we have Jesus. He's preaching and a large crowd has gathered. And in this time, houses could fit about 50 people inside. But there wasn't just people inside. They were on the outside. And he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the kingdom of God. And there's no more room. People are pressing in, and we have this paralyzed man who is probably a, a quadriplegic because he had four men carrying him. Probably each limb, they're carrying him in, and, and he needs healing. And the roofs in those days were flat, and they were made of thatch or, or you could say mud or tree branches and things. And they're just, you know, packing in the mud and covering it and trying to keep it sealed to keep the, the rain out. And they had steps on the side of it. And so... These friends of this paralytic just decide, you know what, we need to get this man, our friend, to Jesus, and we can't get through the crowd, so why don't we just get up on the roof? Amen? That, that's a crazy idea, right? That's some crazy faith, though. Let's just get up on the roof, 
And you know what? We don't have a hammer. We don't have a saw. We don't have any of those things because they didn't invent those then. I don't know how they did it. I imagine they got their hands and just started ripping mud and tree limbs and all. And there was the Bible says also, I believe in Luke, there was tiles. So just whatever they could find, they're patching roofs together in houses, not with shingles like today, and they're just ripping it and making a hole and making a way. And we don't know how large this man was, but, I mean, if he's an average-sized person, it had to be a pretty good-sized hole for them to lower him down. I mean, he's on a mat too, okay? So just picture this. They tore the roof off. And from this passage, I want to talk about the importance of friends and the importance of the forgiveness of sin. The importance of friends, godly friends, and the forgiveness of sin. In verse 5, it really struck me that it said Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. What he saw was the roof opening up above him. I'm sure everybody was looking in amazement and stuff is falling down, debris coming down, and they're like, what is going on? Some of them probably are wondering, like, is there's lightning coming? Is is it an earthquake? What is going on? This is something we haven't seen before, and Jesus knew what was going on. He's looking, and he sees this man is being lowered right in front of him. So what does faith look like? That's what faith looks like. How do you see faith? Because Jesus has made it very clearly, Jesus saw their faith. So I was thinking about the beginning of creation in Genesis, and, and we see in the beginning of creation, God said, let there be light. And the Bible says God saw the light, and that he saw that it was good. Now, it's not like God has faith because he is faith. We are the ones who have to have faith, not God because that's who he is, right? But there's something to God seeing what he spoke into existence and saying it was good. I think there's something we can learn from that as well. That is not just saying, I go to church, I read the Bible, and I'm a good little Christian. But where is the faith? What is God seeing the pr- product of that? There's got to be a product of what you believe in order for it to be real. There's got to be a product of what you believe, some evidence of what you believe in order for it to be faith. Are you with me? So in creation, he's like, let the water, water be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear. And God called that the dry land. And, and he called it the earth. And let the waters he called to be seas. And, and God saw that it was good. And so it was. And so on and so forth in all creation. And so faith is seen by what it produces. And we get this from James 2.17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We love to say this in the Christian community. I'll pray. I'll be praying for you. I'll pray for you. Some of us don't do that. We just say it because we learned it. Oh, yeah, I know. Some of y'all are like, yeah, you're grunting. I know. I've done it. I'm not throwing stones. I've done it. I'll pray for you. And then I forget. I should be praying right now instead of waiting until I get home. Just pray now, right? But James also talks about, like, you know, if you want to say you have faith and you may, may meet somebody that's cold and they're on the streets and they're cold, they don't have a jacket, and here, here you are bundled up like an Eskimo, right? Got your little igloo, right? You're all warm, you're feeling good, and, and you're just saying, well, well, be well and be warm, I'll be praying for you. And you walk away when you could give them your jacket. That's the evidence of faith in action. Amen? The evidence of faith in action is you see someone that's hungry and you have a, the option to buy them food and you do that. The evidence or the unevidence of faith is you saying, well, I'll be praying for you that someone come feed you. But you can do it. You understand? 
If it's in your means to do good, by any means, do so. To withhold is sin. Amen? To withhold is sin. If we can help someone, we need to help that person. Especially, the Bible says, in the household of faith. This is what they did in Acts chapter 2. They were so tight and so in community. That's why I like this setup because you guys are closer right now. <laughs> you don't even know where your chair is at. You probably know by Wednesday. I'm, it's probably going to magically appear, right? You don't know where everything is at. You're all shook up, right? But in the book of Acts, there was no being comfortable. Everyone knew each other. Everyone shared bread together. They shared the word. And guess what? They didn't do this just on Sunday. The Bible says they did this daily. And here's another important part. The Bible says not a single one of them lacked. Why? Because they shared their possessions with one another. We don't see that that often in the American church, do we? You know, but I will say that the importance of community is we need to see those things. God expects to see those things. He doesn't want us to be Sunday goers. We all look nice and pretty coming to church, but then all throughout the week, I don't hear from you. See you next Sunday. How come I can't talk to you on Monday? We spend more time with coworkers than we do with the house of God, the people of God. Oh, Lord. So Jesus saw the faith of this paralytic man, this paralyzed man and his friends. They didn't wish. They didn't wonder. Uh, they didn't just say, well, we're just helpless. We can't do anything about this. They saw the condition of their friend, and they said, we got to get him to Jesus. We're not just going to pray. We're going to do something about it. Do you have friends that will do something about your condition? Huh. Do you have friends who would tear the roof off for you to get you to Jesus? Do you have friends that say, you know what, I see what's going on in your life, and I'm not just going to pray for you. I'm going to do something about it. It's quiet in here. It's quiet. Who you are friends with really matters. Do you have friends that will sharpen you? Do you have friends that will encourage you? Do you have friends that will build you up? Do you have friends that will be there for you, especially when your faith is wavering? Because you know what? Even as a pastor, sometimes my faith is wavering. And I need people to sharpen me. I need people not just saying they're going to pray for me. I need people checking up on me. I need people lifting me up in prayer, right? I need people coming by the house if, if necessary. Come on. This is community. Amen. So how... How important is it to have friends that have faith? Because I'm not just talking about any friends. Because I've seen people in the world that don't know Jesus do more than I see people in the church. Oh, when it comes to being a friend. Oh, I know I'm, I'm stepping on some stuff, but I'm being honest. Come on, some of us get saved, we get sanctified, we get filled with the Holy Ghost, but then we become unloving. Can somebody make that make sense? Because it doesn't make sense. Because the Holy Spirit is love. Amen? Not a lover of self, but a lover of others, and especially of God. Amen. Early on in my walk, when I, when I first got saved, I had friends around me that encouraged me and, and pressed on. Amen? They were there for me. It wasn't just, see you next Sunday. They would invite me out to eat after service. They would invite me to... Stuff during the week, you know, hey, you want to come hang out? This, and if they did not do that, 
I don't know where I would be in my walk right now because I was always searching to belong. Before Christ, I was trying to belong. I didn't feel like I belonged at home. I, I definitely didn't belong at school. Uh, when I graduated, I didn't belong in the, the friends that I ran with then because they were all into bad things and they only wanted me for what I had, right? They were just takers, not givers. And so I was in the wrong groups at the wrong times in the wrong places all the time. And then when I came to the house of God, first of all, I didn't want to come, but there was this older lady at the door greeting. And matter of fact, I just want to shout out greeters right now. If you're a greeter, stand up right now. If you're an usher, stand up right now. Come on. I know you're around here. You don't want to be recognized, but you should be recognized. Why? Amen. Yeah, y'all clap it up. David said, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the courts of hell. It is an honor to be the face of the church. It is an honor to be the first person that people see when they come to church. And you should wear that as a badge that God has given you that opportunity. In fact, if you're in here right now and you've never done that, you don't know what you're missing out. That was the first thing I ever did in church. And the reason I did that is because the love that I felt from the person that was greeting me when I first ever came to church. I wasn't raised in church, never wanted to go to church. I hated the fact of church being in existence. I didn't believe in God. All those things, right? There was no way I was going to go to church. But the Lord had other plans. But when I came to church, I felt like I was going to be judged. I felt like people were going to look down on me. This older lady embraced me, smiled. She acted like she knew me forever. And when she was hugging me, it was not a regular hug. In fact, I was a little resistant. I was kind of like, oh, hold on. Like, <sighs> you don't know me. You have no idea what I, what I even did last night. And in my mind, I was like, if she knew who I really was, she would not be hugging me. But that was my perception of love, that I had to earn it, that I had to do good things, that I had to bring benefit to somebody else in order for them to love me. And I had love all mixed up. She loved me in spite of me. She loved me in spite of my flaws, in spite of what I was or who I was or what I did. And that was the love of God that she was showing to me. Amen. And her embracing me, I knew that this was different. When she hugged me, it wasn't just no ordinary hug. It was a mama hug, like a mama bear hug, like, come here, my long-lost son. I never met her in my life. And I didn't know it at the time, but that was the love of God, and it touched my heart. If it wasn't for her, I never would have gotten inside the doors because I didn't want to go. Eventually, I got saved, and as I said, I had a community of friends who prayed with me, and they walked with me because I, when I got saved, I was a baby. And any, in the natural, you have a baby. There's a baby right here, beautiful baby. Look at that baby. This, I'm assuming because I don't know, baby can't walk right now, right? Crawling probably, not even crawling, getting close, kind of scooting. Okay. I have three kids. I love my kids, and I remember those phases. But you know, in the natural, a baby is not just born and starts walking. When you get born again, you're not just starting to walk for God. And when a baby does finally walk, the baby is not perfect at walking. I mean, show me a baby that first starts walking and just has it down right then and there. 
You've seen the videos. If you've never had a child, you've seen the videos. But if you've had a child, you know they're going to stumble. They're going to fall, right? And so it is as a Christian. When you get saved, you're going to stumble. You're going to fall because this is something new. You haven't walked before. That baby hasn't walked before, but the baby's going to walk one day, right? And it's going to be new for the baby. And the baby's going to stumble. The baby's going to fall. But, but I know Carlos, and Carlos is going to be like, come to daddy, right, when that baby falls. And, the, and Carlos is going to encourage that baby and grab that baby's hand and say, come on, you can do it, right? And that's how we need to be with people that just get saved. We can't just let them be born again and just leave them there. We must disciple. We must take them by the hand. We must show them how to properly walk. We must us encourage them when they fall and say it's okay I've done the same thing just get right back up because the Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times but guess what he gets back up amen and I've never seen a baby just fall down and stay down so if you have fallen from God it's time to get back up amen let him strengthen you let him renew your strength and you will walk because the devil loves to work in isolation Look at Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And in Proverbs 27, 17, most of you know this. Even the world knows this one. Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. We need friends that will challenge us. We need friends that will make us better Christians. We need friends that will sharpen our thinking, that will talk more about God than they do the weather. We need friends who will talk more about what God is doing in their life than they talk about sports. We need people who will quote scriptures to us more than they quote statistics from a football game. Come on, somebody, because it's easy to do those things, right? But it takes intentionality to talk to people about Jesus. It's not comfortable to come up in a conversation at dinner to start asking people, what have they been reading lately? What has God been showing? It's not comfortable, but it should be normal. Otherwise, we're doing just what the world does. How are you doing today? Well, it's Monday. That's not where I asked. I didn't ask, how are you doing? I didn't say, oh, it's Monday. No, how are you doing? Or we go up to guys. How are you? What are you about? You know, who are you? And we equate that with what we do with our work. I don't know. We need to get down to the soul. We need to get to the conscious. How's your walk with God? Not to condemn, not to say I'm better than you, but I care about you. What have you been reading in the Bible lately? What can I be praying with you about? Those things take intentionality, and those are the things that God expects us to do. Not this water cooler talk. Tomorrow at work, I hope you get convicted to, to stay away from the water cooler talk. Because I know today is NFL Sunday. And I know in a lot of workplaces, tomorrow, everyone's going to be talking about the game or multiple games. But how about you be the one that stands out and flip that on his head and start talking about Jesus? Oh, you want to talk about the atmosphere changing? See, we always equate the atmosphere changing with, you know, flashy lights and good music and a smoke machine and all that. No. You want to change the atmosphere? Just say the name of Jesus. That's all you got to do. Say the name of Jesus. I encourage the teenagers all the time. 
go to your school and bring your Bible and watch what's going to happen. If you walk into that school with this Bible in your hand, just like this, you're going to change the atmosphere. Why? Because that's not normal. And listen, we need to be ruined for normal. We need to be unnormal, right? Because we are not of this world. Come on. We are in the world, but we are not of this world. Amen? But if teenagers aren't seeing us do that, then they won't be doing that. If they're not being discipled at home, then how do you expect them to learn of God? You want me to do it? I get an hour a week, if that. Depends on how long I preach, right, Hannah? Maybe an hour. She's like, because she's always waiting on me to get done so she can do worship, right? (laughs) All right, but listen. (laughs) I thank God for good friends. We need good friends to sharpen our faith when our faith is dull. If you think about a pile of coals or maybe a fire pit with coals, if you take one of those coals and you separate it, what's going to happen to that coal, that lone coal? It's not going to be on fire anymore, is it? Some of us have been on fire for God, passionate about the things of God, but then we got mixed up with the wrong people and the fires died. Some of us got on fire for God. We've been passionate about the things of God, and then we walked away from community. I'm not talking about church. This is not community. Can I just make that very clear? All we're doing is coming, hearing a message, worshiping. Community, real community, is outside these four doors. It's when you go to Chili's and you invite somebody you wouldn't normally invite. Or invite, here's one, invite someone that doesn't look like you. This doesn't have the same interests as you, Right? Talking about sports and hobbies. They don't, they don't know anything about all that. But you do have an interest in the blood of Jesus. That is your brother and your sister. Amen? Oh, I know I'm speaking Greek, but it's okay. Those friends, these friends in this story, they bore the burden of the paralytic friend. This is their friend. They bore that burden. This man could not walk. But they knew he needs to get to Jesus. And some of us need help by walking or walking by faith, especially if you just gave your heart to Jesus. And it's on us who've been in here. We've been walking with God for two or three years. It is on us to take the initiative and say, young man, young woman, older man, older woman, go out to lunch with me. Let me get your number. Do you want to, do you want to pray together? Come on. We have to be more intentional. Thank you for the few people that said amen. Struggling up here, y'all. Amen. (laughs) The Lord has given me strength, though. Thank God for that last song because I I needed that. Amen. Sometimes we need to shoulder the load of our friends. Who are you encouraging? Who are you helping? Do you have friends that are doing that? You've heard this said before. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. Do you have faithful friends? The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. See, these type of people are misleading you. Bad company. It will corrupt your good behavior, your good character. I know sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to get them saved. You're not, you can't save anybody. Only the Holy Spirit can. I don't care. Hey, I don't care the persuasive words, whatever you say, whatever you do. It's not you doing it, it's the Holy Spirit doing it. But you do have a responsibility to be careful who you hang out with because the world is going to bring you down faster than you can bring them up to God. So be careful who you walk with. Amen. 
Amos says, how can two uh, be in agreement unless they walk together? How can two walk together unless they be in agreement? You've got to be in agreement with believers. If you have friends in here that don't love God, you need to be very careful. In fact, the only way you should be friends with them is if you're telling them about Jesus. Because when Jesus hung around sinners, he wasn't drinking with them. He wasn't smoking with them. He wasn't doing the same things they were doing. You know what he was doing? He was preaching the kingdom of God. That's what he was doing. Amen. So how determined are you to get your friends to Jesus? I mean, look at the obstacles that these friends have in, had in this story. I, I told you they didn't have saws or any tools or anything like that. But they said, we're going to get up on this roof. We're going to walk him up there, carry him up there on these steps, and we're going to cut a hole in this thing. Come on. Sometimes you got to cut a hole in this thing. Maybe it would have been easier to, to tell people, excuse me, excuse me, let's get through this crowd. No, no, no. They had faith. If we just get him to Jesus, he's going to be healed. They had to climb. They had to dig. They had to get through this crowd, and they lowered their friend down to Jesus. What love is that? What care is that? What friendship is that? What a blessing that is to have people in your life like that. If this paralyzed man didn't have friends like this, where would he be? He would still be paralyzed. But worse yet, he would still be a sinner that's not saved. That's the part we don't rejoice over. We love healings. I love healings. But I love people getting saved more than that. Because you can be healed on earth, but if your sins aren't forgiven, you're going to go to hell as a healed person. It's getting tight in here. (laughs) Maybe you don't have a limb. You know, God could probably just stretch that limb out and make it whole. But what good is that if your sins aren't forgiven? Because you could have no limbs here, but in heaven, you're going to have your limbs. Do you understand what I'm saying? You could be sick and full of disease down here, but in heaven, you're going to be healed completely. So, so physical healing is not a big deal for God. But a hardened, rebellious heart is a huge deal. Because that is the reason why people don't come to God. Because they want to stay in their sin and they have pride. God wants to break that right now. Amen. But listen, it's not enough just to get your unsaved friends to church. Notice they didn't just bring them to the house. They didn't bring bring them to the outside. They brought him right in front of Jesus. Don't think that it's Pastor Jeff's job to bring people to Jesus. I'm not against bringing people to church. But find me something in the New Testament that says invite people to church. Find me that. You don't see it. But you will see, tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll see that. So what does that tell me? We got to get out of this Americanized thinking that we just invite people to church and then our job is done. Or Pastor Jeff will do it. Or you might come in and be like, oh, man, my friend, you got to come, come to church. And they come and then Pastor Jeff says a message that you're like, it's not the message I wanted that person to hear. They need to be saved, and Pastor Jeff didn't even really talk about that. He didn't even give an altar call. You give the altar call. Come on. That, that's, that's stepping out in faith. Not waiting on the pastor to preach the gospel, but you're preaching the gospel on the way up to church. Or when church is over, you're going out to lunch, and let me, let me, let me talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ right now to you. And they could get saved right there in the car, right there in the restaurant. 
And there is no altar like this around. They get saved right there. And I'm telling you right now, if you've been at least two or three years saved and you don't know the gospel, first of all, you need to repent. That's the first thing we ought to know is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can we tell other people about what's happened in our hearts if we don't even know what happened in our hearts? Do you understand what I mean? I understand some of us don't have that distinction that we remember exactly when we were saved, but you know what happened in your heart. You know you were going this direction, and then God did something, and now you're going this direction. That's what you got to tell people. But you put it in the language of the kingdom of God, that I was a sinner, that I was a God-hater. Even if you don't want to admit that, you were, that I was a sinner, and I was on my way to hell. And then God, through his providence, God, through his grace and his mercy, he grabbed the hold of my heart. And he took it and he softened it and he flooded with the love of God because I heard what Jesus did for me on the cross and I heard that he died for my sins and I heard that he was raised from the grave and I heard that if I put my faith in him, I shall be saved. Amen. Why can't we say that? Why can't we do that? Can't nobody take my experience with God away from me? We can, we can debate semantics all day long. I, I, I've been in debates. You can get with atheists and they're going to say, well, why is this? Why is that? That contradicts this. You know what? I may not have all the answers. I'm okay that I don't have all the answers because I know what happened inside of me. I know who I was and I know who I am now. And it's only by God's grace that I am who I am now. We can argue all day long. And I may not have all the answers. And I think that's okay. Because my mind is finite, but he is infinite. And I think if I knew all the answers of the Bible, I would be God. That's why he doesn't give us all the answers. Have you ever thought about that? It's, it's almost like you, you, you go see a movie. This is a very bad illustration, but I want you to get the gist of what I'm saying. You see previews and trailers of a movie. Just enough to get you excited to see the movie. But it doesn't show you the full picture. I think the same thing happens here on earth. God gives us enough of his grace, enough of his spirit to get us wanting more and get us excited and get us our hearts longing for heaven, but we don't see the full picture right now. But when we do get to heaven, it's going to be a blockbuster. When we do get to heaven, it's going to be an amazing thing to see. Amen. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God will reveal. So it's not enough. Just bring your unsaved friends to a church or a program or an event. This is just a building. This is boot camp. This is where we get prayed up and filled up, and then we go out. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. So he saw their faith. He saw their faith. If you're waiting for the 12 o'clock kickoff, I'm sorry. This is the kickoff right here. <laughs> there ain't no better thing than the word of God. Let's tell you right now. And trust me, I really like football. I like football. I love to watch the NFL games. When I, when I, and this is going to set somebody free. When I got saved and I started really getting serious about God, I had to make a decision. Christ or Cowboys? And don't think that was an easy decision to make, y'all. I grew up as a Cowboys fan, and I've suffered, what, 26 years now since the last Super Bowl or 27. I don't know how long. Can't even keep counting more. I just know there was VHS tapes. Amen. Come on, somebody. 
CDs were coming into existence when they got in the Super Bowl. Come on, this is a long time ago, right? Some of the young people in here are like, what is a VHS tape? <laughs> but listen, I, I had to make that decision. And I remember like, man, I want to watch the Cowboys. They kick off at 12. Just so you know, they don't kick off at 12 today. It's 720. I already did the research. I know. <laughs> We're good. All right, no rush. Unless you're a Steelers fan. I see a Steelers fan over here. I think they're already playing right now. There's another one in the back. He plays the keyboard. But anyways, <laughs> a lot of Steelers fans, Packers and Eagles, but where's the Cowboys fans at? All right. It's not about that, though. All right. <laughs> but I had to make that decision. And it was not an easy decision, y'all, but I was like, you know what? I'd rather be in the house of God than to sit in front of my TV watching the Cowboys. I had to make that decision. And as you grow in the Lord, the things that used to be valuable to you don't become as valuable anymore, and all you want is his presence. That's all you want. I hope we can get to that place. Jesus saw beyond this physical suffering. There was something that was more important than physical healing that was needed to happen here. Because Jesus could have easily healed him. The man could have been walking free and walked out of that house, but he would still be unsaved. Still separated from God. But Jesus did something about the disease that was more urgent. The sin-sick disease in his soul. Jesus said that's more important. But the goodness of God is not only am I going to forgive your sins, but I'm going to heal you as well. Forgiveness came first. And notice in verse 5, he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. He called him son. The teachers of the law were not going to call him son. Because if he called him son, that means he's a child of God. And there, is no, there are no children of God unless they are born again. You understand that? We, we can't call everybody in the world children of God. The children of God are those who are saved. Can we make that distinction? Because I hear people say it all the time, oh, we're all children of God. No, we're not. Is that a revelation for you? We are not all children of God. To be a son or a daughter of God, you must first believe that he is God. And he must draw you to him. That's the problem. But he calls him son. So I know the teachers of the law were getting their necks all bent out of shape. They were appalled. They were like, wait, 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 wait. You're calling him a son like he's already in the kingdom? Like he's already a part of God? And then to add insult to injury, he said, your sins are forgiven. They were about to blow up their heads. They're about to lose their mind. Like, you can't do any of this, Jesus. That is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They were right. Only God can forgive sins. And he was God. And he is God. And he will be God. And he was right in front of them as God. Oh, the Jews in that day believed that sickness and affliction and disease, if someone was in that situation, it was because of sin. A lot of them believed that. Maybe you've heard that today. Oh, you've got cancer because you sinned against God. Maybe you felt that. Maybe the enemy has poisoned your mind with that. But, it, but if you, all you got to do is take a look at the book of Job. This dude was afflicted with boils all over his body. He lost everything he had. But modern churches today would say, well, he sinned. No, if you read your Bible, the Bible says there was no man as righteous as Job on the face of the earth. But yet he still suffered. 
There's a false doctrine that says if you're blessed and you're living right with God, you won't suffer. You won't have sickness. You won't have disease. That is a false doctrine. Because I remember very distinctly in the Bible of great men and women of God who had to suffer, who had to go through trials. And Jesus himself said, in this life, you will have tribulation. Are you calling Jesus a liar? He said, you are going to suffer. He's, but he didn't leave it right there. He said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So shall you overcome the world. Amen. That's a great promise from God. Amen. And so the scribes are right. They're like, only God can forgive sins. Yes, you're right. And so they said, he's blaspheming. Anybody in the law that was guilty is blaspheming. In this case, uh, misappropriating God, being in the place of God, which is what they thought he was doing, was guilty of death. Stoned to death. Just death. And that's what Jesus ultimately got accused of and died on the cross. They accused him of blaspheming. But he was God. He was the only one that can forgive sin. So he had the right to say that. And he knew that because they equated uh, diseases with sins, I'm going to start with the sin first. They're thinking that this man is a paralytic because of sin. So let me forgive the sin first, which is the root. And then I'm going to forgive the physical deformity. So he just totally turned their theology on his head. And I love that. Because he said this, which is it easier to do? Is it easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise and take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus did the visible to prove he has the power to do the invisible. Let me say that again. Jesus did the visible to prove he has power to also do the invisible. Because you can see the physical healing, but you could not see the forgiveness of sin. Jesus took care of both of that. To show that he has the authority of God in the flesh. That he is the authority of God in the flesh. And also to prove that he is the Messiah. Because only the Messiah can take away your sins. He proved it all right there. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the scribes, they completely missed it. Completely missed it. Take up your mat. Walk. This man wasn't just forgiven of his sins. He was also freed from the guilt of his sins. I think sometimes in the body of Christ, we can say, Lord, I thank you for forgiving me of my sins. You've covered me with your blood, but we hold on to the guilt and the shame. When the Bible says there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If the Bible says it, I'm going to believe it. I don't have to wallow in shame and guilt anymore. it, It happened. God forgave me already. I've repented. I moved on. And I'm going to leave the past in the past. I'm not staying there. And and I think that stunts our progress, that we don't grow in faith, that we don't get closer to God. Because why? We're living in the guilt and the shame of what we did. Amen. The consequences was taken on the cross. Jesus died for your sins. Am I saying you can just go do what you want? No, I'm not. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. That's what we got to remember, that God is not holding you guilty. He is taking your sins, and he is casting them far as the east is from the west. The east is from the west, and he is casting your sins in a sea of forgetfulness. If God is not remembering it and bringing it up anymore, and he's not keeping a record of your wrong, then why are you? Come on. Come on. 
So listen, as I get ready to close this, getting right with God is more important than to take priority over our problems. We all got problems. Show me your problems, I'll show you mine. We can do this all day. <laughs> but the real issue is, are you right with God? Because the problems are going to be here for the rest of our life. Yeah, we don't like to hear that, right? But it's true. Got problems today, probably be gone tomorrow, or eventually they'll be gone. But guess what? Be happy, you're in a good season, there's no problems. But understand, the season's going to change, and the problems are going to come back, and they might be even harder. They might be something more unbearable. They might be something tougher. That is what life is, and it doesn't matter if you're in here saved or unsaved. It will happen to all of us alike because when, when sin entered in the world, disease entered in the world, suffering entered in the world, affliction entered in the world, problems entered the world. And our hearts and our minds and our life is not made for this life. This, we're just pilgrims passing through. This is temporary. This is it. This is our temporary home. This is it. God says our citizenship is in heaven. And he tells us to set our affections, set our mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. In other words, don't get too cozy. Don't get too comfortable. Listen, the problems may not last forever. The problems may last forever, but God is still God regardless. You may have some good times on earth. You may have some bad times on earth, but God is still God. And when you get to heaven, it's not going to be anything but good times. There will be no more suffering. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more disease. And God is going to wipe away everything. Every tear from our eyes and the things from the past, the former things will not be in remembrance anymore because behold, I am making all things new. Thank you, Jesus. I'm getting stirred up. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to look at First Corinthians, I mean Colossians 1, 13. You have no idea being, getting up early yesterday. Doing, an, doing this incredible conference, being a part of it all day yesterday, cleaning up and everything. When Pastor Jeff asked me to do this, I had the question, does he even know there's a conference going on Saturday? <laughs> I'm going to be dog tired. <laughs> and I got some good sleep last night, y'all. Probably more hours than I've gotten in a while, but I still woke up feeling like death. How many of y'all understand that? You wake up and you're just like, feel like you got ran over by a truck, right? <laughs> like, goodness gracious. Like, God, I need the spirit just to take this dead carcass up out of the bed, right? Because I can't even stand up. So I knew, and I prayed this morning, like, God, you're going to have to do this because I don't have the physical strength. And so I don't ask for any apology or make any apologies of me being stirred up. If, if, you up. if you're upstairs with the youth and young adults and I'm preaching, this is normal for you, right? You know I'm going to be sweating. You know I'm going to get excited. I'm going to get stirred up because I'm very passionate about this. I'm very passionate about this. And I'm not saying that if you don't sweat and if you don't move around, you're not passionate. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's like fire shut up in my bones. The word of God is like fire shut up in my bones. I can't keep still. I can't just tone it down. I've got to be excited because I realize who I was and who I am now. And this is what I'm talking about in Colossians. For he has rescued us. He rescued me from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Who what? Purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Amen. First John 1 John 1.9. 
says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The, the main thing you need to know out of that scripture is he is faithful. He is faithful. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did last week. He is faithful. Come on. That is not about your performance. It's not about your trying to get things right with God. And I hear always pe- people saying, I'm, I'm trying to get closer to God. Stop trying. Stop trying. Because it's not by might, it's not by power, but by his spirit. Amen. Just surrender your heart and say, God, I can't do it. I can't live right. I need you to help me. I can't kick this habit. I need you to help me. Come on. I'm talking to somebody right now. You got an addiction. You got a sin you're struggling with. Stop striving. Stop trying. Listen, I've never seen a branch of a tree strive to produce fruit. I've never seen that before. All the branch had to do was stay connected to the the trunk, stay connected to the vine. But if you cut that branch off and separate it from its source, then it's going to die and there's not going to be any fruit. So what God is telling you is this. Stop striving. Stop trying. Just stay connected. Just stay connected to God. Just stay in the word. Just pray and you will bear fruit. But the problem is we just give up too quick. Oh, this Christianity thing doesn't work. It does work if you work it. And I'm not talking about physical work. I'm just saying this is your work right here. This is your meat and potatoes. This is your steak. Come on. This is, this is everything you need right here. Every answer that you could ever want is right here. Man, I need to talk to the young people. It's right here. It's not out there in the world. It's a bunch of lies out there. This is the absolute truth. If it wasn't, then I would not be preaching like a madman. This is the absolute truth. So I'm going to ask you to stand. As I close this, I want to ask you a question. Are you the paralyzed man that needs to be carried to Jesus? Some of us need to be carried. We're limping. May not physically be limping, but spiritually we are limping. We're exhausted. We're tired. We've been running a rat race, and we're like, I don't see any results. We're, we're tired. If we can be real and we can be honest, we can say, I'm weak. I need a touch from heaven. Maybe you're the paralytic man, and you just feel like, I can't get to Jesus myself. I need somebody's, uh, somebody's faith, somebody that's stronger, somebody to help me. It's okay to ask for help. I need help all the time. If, I, if, I, if I'm not feeling like I can get in a place where I can ask God for help, I got a wife who's called my help me. Amen. Praise God for all the wives in here. No, come on, man. Y'all better. I'm looking at y'all. Clap those hands. Little patty cake. Come on, man. Got some amazing women of God. Do, do we have some amazing women of God? Goodness. All the men are looking at me like, it's not Mother's Day. All right. It's not Mother's Day. Goodness. Y'all, y'all got y'all's mind somewhere else. I can already tell. I'm, I'm going to leave y'all alone. Are you the paralytic man? Are you the one of the four friends that needs to help somebody? Or a third category. Maybe you need your sins forgiven today. He's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for your heart. That's it. God just says, just give me your heart. Just trust me. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this place right now and you need your burdens bared, you don't have friends that can lift you up maybe. I don't know where you're at with God. Maybe you're feeling helpless. You're feeling hopeless. You're weak in your faith. 
Can I just say that there's people that's going to come to this altar? Some preachers, some pastors, some life group leaders, some leaders that are going to come up here and agree with you to strengthen your faith. Maybe you're in the category of saying, I've never asked Jesus into my heart. My sins have not been forgiven. I've been doing so many things that I know that God is not pleased with. Maybe you have an attitude that you don't even care. Can I ask you something? When you stand before the judge, what are you going to say? Are you going to say, well, I hope I did enough good deeds to outweigh the bad? Let me tell you something. You can't do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad. It's too late. You could do good the rest of your life. And you will not outweigh the bad. Why? Because the Bible says we were born in sin, shaping in iniquity. It's in our nature. It's in our DNA. We are naturally bent to go do evil. But God needs to change our hearts. And thank God that he has provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ. He has provided forgiveness of sins. And it's the only payment that will be accepted in heaven. Not good deeds outweighing bad. The only payment is the blood of Jesus Christ. Is the blood of Jesus Christ on the doorpost of your heart so that the death angel, which is judgment, will pass over when that day comes when you die? If it is not, I don't want you to hesitate to go ahead and raise your hand. Nobody's looking. Every eye is closed and every head is bowed. No one's looking. I'm the only one up here looking. Let me see that hand. That's you today. I've never accepted Jesus in my heart. I don't know who Jesus is. My my sins have not been forgiven me. Raise that hand right now because we have people that want to pray with you and we have something we want to give to you. Pastor Jeff's testimony, something he's written just for you. It's okay. We've all had to take that step before. I had to take that step before 26 years ago and say, God, I am a sinner and I'm in need of grace. Please forgive me. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I want to live for you the rest of my life. So teach me how to live for you. And when I did, that was the best decision I ever made. And God's love flooded my heart. And I felt that I was forgiven. Because the Bible says if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. If you've never done that before, now is a time of salvation. Don't hesitate to raise that hand and say, I need forgiveness of my sins today. If you're in here and you need healing, I believe God wants to heal you. I'm going to dismiss, and I want you to come up here. One of those two categories. I need healing, or my faith is weak. Three categories. My faith is weak, or I need saved. I'm going to dismiss, and you come up here. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, there are people in here that are distant from you, God. You know who they are. You know their thoughts. You know their ways. I pray conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. That they will not walk out that door, Father, until they know that Jesus has forgiven me of my sins and I accept that payment. I know there's some in here, Father, who can say, I'm weak, I'm helpless, my faith has been teetering on the edge of where I'm just going to fall away from God completely. God, I pray, Lord, that they will not walk out of here, but they will come up here and they will get prayer today, Father. That things will change, God. That they will have a, a, a new restored spirit before they walk out of here, God. And that 
Today will be a day that marks them, Lord, that they will say, this is a day I regain my faith. This is a day that things were restored, that I had thought were gone. Father, let it happen tonight, today, Father, in Jesus' name. Draw them to you, O Lord. And I ask God that right now that you would just let everyone have a week filled with your spirit. That they would be intentional to reach out to their neighbors, their friends, family, co-workers. And talk about what you have done in their hearts. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen.